Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Yep, Guy Fawkes Day, also known as Gunpowder Treason Day and Fireworks Night. November 5th, 1605, the day that Guy Fawkes, the Catholic Guy Fawkes, tried to blow up the Protestant-controlled English House of Parliament. <laughs> amazing. I mean, it's amazing that it endures to this day. It's, it's really a commentary, I, 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 you know, I guess on British history. I, you know, I think a good thing, or a good commentary. Good, good to remember your history. Anyhow, we've got a lot on the program today, and we're going to get into a whole lot of topics. I've got a pile of news. We've got some impeachment stuff, and there's a lot going on. But I want to start out with a straw poll. We've been trying to do one of these every other month, more or less, and it's been about a month, month and a half, maybe even two months since the last time we did it. And so here's how it works. My question for you, and we're not taking any calls right now, and Joyce is not answering phones or anything. It's just, you know, I'm just going to do this. What I'd like to know is if you are voting in the Democratic primary tomorrow or today, I mean, today is Election Day, right? So if you were voting, but if it was the Democratic primary today in your state, and it's not anywhere right now, but, but there are elections happening all over the country, A, who would you vote for? And B, give us a sentence or two. Now, you know, after, if anybody talks for more than 10 or 15 seconds, I'm just going to move on to the next caller. But I'll just say where you're calling from and put you on the air and just, you know, let us know who would you be voting for and very, very briefly, why. So, caller in Tennessee, who would you be voting for and why? Caller in in, uh, Richmond, Oakland, California. So I have a tie between Warren and Harris, and I think because they both are incredibly intelligent women, but I think they can gather and garner support from the youth and also all colors and shades of the Democratic Party. Okay, thank you. In Vermont. I would vote for Bernie because he is honest and has been honest for 40-plus years. Thank you. Caller in Seattle, who would you vote for and why? 100% Bernie Sanders. He's the only one truly independent. He's the one that's kicked off all of this stuff. Warren and everybody can pretend that they've been on the charge the whole time, but it hasn't been. It's only been Bernie. Okay, thank you. Lucerne, California. Elizabeth Warren, and I'd vote for her because she was my first choice for the progressives. Okay, great. Thank you. Concord, California. Who would you vote for and why? 
I would vote for Bernie because oh. of his proven record. Okay, thank you very much. In Osceola, Wisconsin, who would you vote for and why? Elizabeth Warren, because I think she's got plans. <laughs> okay. And she's honest. Great, thank you. And Joyce, I hope you're, you're keeping track of these. In Calumet, Michigan, who would you vote for and why? Bernie Sanders. He is definitely steadfast in his policies. He's progressive and he's trustworthy. Great, thank you very much. We're doing the straw poll here. Palm Springs, California, who would you vote for and why? Elizabeth Warren, because we really need to shoot for the moon. Okay, thank you very much. Seattle. I would vote for Elizabeth Warren because I believe she has integrity. Okay, thank you. Lomita, California, who would you vote for and why? I'd vote for Bernie Sanders because he has good enough sense to pick Elizabeth Warren as his running mate. Okay, thank you. San Francisco, who would you vote for and why? Elizabeth, because corruption, corruption, corruption. Okay. Somebody that'll do away with it. Thank you. Got it. Thank you. Wilmington, North Carolina, who would you vote for and why? Senator Sanders is worthy of my ongoing continued support for his great progressive record. Okay, thank you. Detroit or Pontiac, Michigan, who would you vote for and why? For Bernie, and it's because he's been consistent with his message on how to keep America progressive for the last 30 years. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Illinois, who would you vote for and why? This is Jeannie from Brookfield, Illinois. I would vote for Bernie because he wrote the damn bill. Okay. Thank you. Santee, California, who would you vote for and why? Bernie Sanders because of his uh, consistency in his voting record. Okay. Portland, Oregon, who would you vote for and why? Bernie because I trust him to be for the people. Okay. Belfair, Washington, who would you vote for and why? I vote for Bernie Sanders for his honesty and his integrity. Okay. British Columbia, Canada, who would you vote for and why? Bernie Sanders, because he is honest and he is for the people, unrelenting for the people. Okay. Madison, Wisconsin, who would you vote for and why? I would vote for Pete Buttigieg because he's the exact opposite of Donald Trump. Okay. Thank you. Tacoma, Washington, who would you vote for and why? Bernie, because he's the one who can win. Knocking on doors yesterday, I met two Republicans who would vote for Bernie. Okay, thank you. Auburn or Tacoma, Washington, who would you vote for and why? Bernie, no BS, man. I like the straight talk. Okay, thank you. Uh, Seattle, who would you vote for and why? Bernie, because he will solve the underlying causes of problems rather than just surface correction. Jeff in San Francisco, you wanted to talk about uh, your, your favorite candidates for the Democratic primary and why and, and you know, kind of get more long form into this? Uh, well, I, I'm going for Bernie, and then he's going to mm -hmm. pick Elizabeth as his uh, running mate and uh, call up the Bernie and Beth ticket. And uh, they might even just flip a coin to see who's the leader. Bernie and Beth. I mean, or Bess and Bernie. Beth. Bernie and Beth. Oh, Elizabeth Beth. Warren. Okay. Yeah, Beth, I've heard yeah. her call Liz a lot, but never Beth. But yeah. Those I've are both Bs, so I get what you're, what you're trying yeah. to say. Yeah. So um, basically, because it's because of Medicare for all, and it's, they're both want to let right off our student loans, and yeah. it's going to save the family three thousand a month. Yeah, you know, right there. Yeah, you and know, you know, by premium. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, we can do this. I mean, we're already spending, you know, 50, whatever forty nine trillion dollars a decade on healthcare, and and uh, you know, but 
20% of that's being skimmed off the top as profits and executive salaries and dividends. And if we simply go nonprofit, you know, let the government run it, uh, that, that cost goes from 20% down to 3%. And, and, and the same with college, you know, making college affordable. Jeff, thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Lee in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Lee, what's up? Bernie, all the way. He's the only one that is a true progressive. Um, he, unlike Warren, did not bring corporate money into his campaign at all and won't. Mm -hmm. And he will stand for the people. I finally found a candidate that caught up with my mindset. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I've always been a registered independent. And the reason was because I never really was heartened by the Democrats. Mm -hmm. But I will also say that the reason I found your show was because Trump was elected. Hmm. Because I couldn't watch regular news. Ah, so you found us it, on Free Speech TV. Yes, I did, yeah. which I don't have access to now, but I have access to your show still. Yeah, well, it's also on the Internet at freespeech.org. So exactly. although it's on Dish and Dish Satellite System and DirecTV and, and Roku and Apple and, you know, uh, there's just a bunch of different ways to get Free Speech TV. But that's great. Colleen, thank you very much for the call and thanks for sharing your story with us. Barbara in Berwyn, Illinois. Hey, Barbara, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? I'm for Bernie. Okay. Because he's the originator of this whole idea of running for president without corporate funding, or mostly without it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he did well. He did so well that many of the centrist Democrats that are running have been imitating him. At least they were in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, he's had years of experience in the House and the Senate as a true progressive. Mm-hmm. And the, he was uh, the co-founder of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Talk about being a true progressive. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he's right. the guy who's like you know burning it into the DNA of the of the Democratic Party and of Congress. In fact, it's pretty amazing. And the other thing is, there's a poll out that says that um, Elizabeth uh, Warren is mainly attracting the professional class and the educated, mm -hmm. whereas Bernie is is attracting everyone else. Yeah. Uh, reaching, reaching working and I class think people. he has more chance of running. Well, I think that's, of winning, that's I mean. yeah. Well, and also, I mean, Bernie, I, I was mentioning my show here, uh, you know, which, uh, you know, uh, not so much like, you know, we created Bernie, but the people who watch my show know Bernie really well. So a lot of them are going to like yes, it. Yes, I, I but heard I, that. But, but I think it, it, it goes beyond that. I think the, I think that, uh, you know, Bernie also had an enormous amount of exposure four years ago when he ran for president, you know, in the primary against Hillary Clinton. And mm -hmm. so there's a familiarity with Bernie, um, particularly among working class people and increase. Right. And, and, and he did a pretty good job of outreach to minorities as well, um, you know, kind of left over from four years ago. And then he's doing it again now. And that's a hill that Elizabeth Warren has not yet completely climbed. And, uh -huh. and uh, so, you know, we'll see how that right. how that goes. But but I get it. Thank you very much for the call. I, I appreciate yeah, it. Barbara. Good talking to you. Andy in Grand Rapids. Elizabeth, with Bernie is backup for progressive policies. Andy, if Elizabeth Warren is your first choice, who would be your second choice or your third choice? Or Andrew? Uh, Bernie's third? definitely my second. Okay. And do you have a third? Uh, maybe uh, Pamela Harris. Kamala Harris? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. Shana in yes. Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Hey, Shana, you're on the air. What's up? Uh, Thanks hi, for Tom. watching Free Speech Elizabeth, TV. Thanks. Elizabeth Warren, number one. Bernie Sanders, too. She's got a plan for that. Go for 
progressive yeah. and vote blue no matter who. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, who were you supporting four years ago? Bernie Sanders, but in, in the primary. Clinton. Yeah, and then and then so yeah, yeah just like me, uh, you know, supporting Bernie, and then when and, Hillary Clinton became the candidate, strongly supporting her. Is it your sense that this election is going to be different? I mean, you know, what's what is your sense of the of, you know how this primary is probably going to play out, Shannon? I think it's going to be different. I think that we all know that we need big ideas. We can't just go with a corporate Democrat. We have to go big. Yeah. You know, I keep hearing on MSNBC in particular, uh, all these pundits and, and some of the hosts themselves saying, you know, well, if the Democrats nominate Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, they're going to lose terribly because, uh, you know, that happened to George McGovern back in the day. And we're quite, quite, quite. I know. They said the same thing with Hillary. Remember? Yeah, that's, that's true. It didn't work that time. So yeah. We got to go big. Yeah. Well, Hillary, I mean, the we, thing that we, we don't have time to mess around, especially with the climate. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the, and the thing that we need to keep reminding ourselves is that Hillary actually got three million more votes than Donald Trump. Uh, you know, we have we have a guy who's only in the White House because of a of an electoral college that was organized to elect ten of the first eleven presidents were slaveholders, or uh, eight, yeah. eight of the seven of the first eight, something like that. Is some you know mind boggling number, and that you know that's why we have the electoral college was to to protect the uh, the slave owning class, as it were or the class of white men who were enslaving other human beings, you know, to, to make it more specific. And we need to get rid of that, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and the only thing that's stopping that from going away, I mean, there's, there's three or four, maybe only two or three Republican-controlled states, Texas would be high on that list, that have enough electoral votes that if they signed on to this fairvote.org thing where the state commits that its electoral, its electors its electoral votes will go to whoever wins the national vote, you know, whoever wins the majority nationally. They only need a couple more states to do this, but all of the Republican-controlled states are saying no. It's only the democratically-controlled states that are saying, yeah, the majority of the people should decide. And that, I think, tells you pretty much everything you need to know about both those things. Shana, thanks for the call, and thanks for watching Free Speech TV there in Arkansas. Yeah, good talking to you. Love you. Thank you. Back at you. Bloomberg reports there's an increasing number of people concerned about their wealth due to the fear we may be entering a larger economic crisis than 2008. If you've been paying attention, you know the Dow recently had its sixth largest point loss in history, and the stock market continues to show extreme volatility. Meanwhile, central bank gold purchases have risen to a six-decade high, sending gold prices higher. CNBC and the World Gold Council reports Russia and China are swapping out U.S. dollars from their own portfolios, investing in safer, more liquid assets like gold. And what makes things even more suspicious, the U.S. Federal Reserve reportedly holds the most gold of all central banks. What's everyone getting ready for? If you share the gut feeling that something is soon to go south with the global economy, call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Proper gold and silver strategy will help secure your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Gold. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's 1-888-OWNGOLD. Okay, here's our quickie straw poll. Not surprising. I mean, I have to remind new listeners in particular that for 11 years on this program, this program has been on the air of, I think we're in our 16th year. In the first 11 years of our being on the air, 
maybe not the first year. I'm not have to go back and look when Bernie started being on the show. But for 11 years on this program, Bernie Sanders was on our show every Friday. We did a Friday after Thanksgiving once. We did a Friday the day before Christmas once. I mean, Bernie showed up every single Friday. I think without fail. I mean, you know, other than when he even once from outside the country, you know, calling in a satellite phone. He, he was here every Friday for 11 years answering calls and, you know, answering your calls, just like Mark Pocan and Ro Khanna do right now. Mostly Mark Pocan. We're, we're doing every Wednesday, Congressman Pocan and with Bernie. It was called Brunch with Bernie. So my audience, my long term audience, people who have been with us for a long time, people who have been listening to the show for a long time. You know, they're going to skew toward Bernie, I would guess, just because of that history, although it has been four or five years since Bernie was on. I mean, he he stopped doing this when he declared he was running for the uh, Democratic primary. But here's the results. One vote for Pete Buttigieg, one vote for Kamala Harris, six votes for Elizabeth Warren, 16 votes for Bernie. Bernie beats Warren by a little more than two to one. And the two of them just basically swamped everybody else. And I realize, you know, we didn't do it long enough to really get a, a large number of people but on the other hand, you know, people listening to the radio don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think they want to hear just, you know, call after call saying, you know, this person, that person. Welcome back. John Harbin here with you. Muggsy's rap sheet tweets. Remember, remember this 5th of November, the Ukrainian treason and plot. I know of no reason the orange man's treason should ever be forgot. And Muggsy notes, I rewatched V for Vendetta last night, an annual ritual, and it took on new significance this year. It's been years since I've seen that movie. You know, Louise and I should watch that. So anyhow, you know, we just had the annual, or I guess a twice a year, daylight savings time change, which raises an interesting question. Is it time to kill daylight savings time before it kills us? <laughs> it actually is killing us. We actually know this now, the research is in, that more people get in car accidents, more people have heart attacks, more people have strokes. The week or two following daylight savings time changes. It's worse in the spring because you lose an hour. In the fall, it's not quite so bad because you gain that hour back and so you can kind of sleep in an extra hour. But basically what it's doing is it's throwing people into jet lag. And now as you dig into where this came from, I mean, this is a remarkable book. It's called Spring Forward, The Annual Madness of Daylight Savings Time by Michael Downing. And in this book, he documents how daylight savings time was sold to us. It was sold to us that the farmers need it to bring in the crops. Turns out that's complete BS. The farmers go out in their fields and come back from their fields based on how much sunlight is out there, not what time of day it is. But there are people who do things based on what time of day it is that are affected by how much sunlight that there is. Principal among them are sports teams, particularly baseball, and golfers. And in fact, it was golfers who started this thing. And then, and then it's kind of crazy when you think about it. What they found was that extra hour of daylight in the evening, A, you could play, you know, another hole or another round of golf, B, evening games or late afternoon uh, baseball games and things like that could be extended. See more people, if the sun is out, if the sun is still out, more people are willing to get in their car and go visit big box stores. And so retailers saw an increase in their business. And D, the fossil fuel industry, which is selling the gasoline to people who are driving to these stores or to these baseball games or to these golf courses, saw an increase in their revenues. So there's all these industries that actually make 
you know, it's a marginal difference. It's a small difference, but a measurable difference. They actually make more money as a consequence of daylight savings time. And who pays the price? We do. In fact, in 1986, Reagan took daylight savings time from six months to seven months. And that, according to congressional hearings, literally Congress held hearings on these things. What they found was, A, when daylight savings time first began, golf ball sales skyrocketed. And then B, that when Reagan extended daylight savings time for an extra month, according to this book that I just shared with you, this, this is a quote from the book, worth $200 million in additional sales of golf clubs and green fees. Uh, here's another quote from the book. The barbecue industry said it was worth $100 million in additional sales of grills and charcoal briquettes. It's pretty mind-boggling. The candy lobby was convinced an extra hour of evening light on Hollywood, they write, would make kids collect more candy. And that would cause adults to buy more of it. So the candy lobby is like, hey, we'll sell more candy. And then in 2005, George W. Bush extended this to eight months in total. So it went from six months, Reagan took it to seven months, responding to industry. George Bush took it to eight months, responding to industry. I think it's time to just end it. We could end it so that we're all on daylight savings time all the time. In other words, you know, the, the sun goes up and goes down based on that way. Or we could simply do away with daylight savings time altogether. Doing away with daylight savings time altogether is something that morning people would prefer. Doing away with normal time and shifting the entire country to permanent daylight savings time is something that night people would prefer, you know, people who stay up late and like to go out in the evenings. But in either case, we need to stop going back and forth and back and forth every year because it's just not good for us. It's not healthy and it actually is costing lives. Fascinating stuff. There's a bunch of other stuff in the news today, by the way. I got, you know, Fred got an email today from the Trump campaign. Fred, we've got some news. We just received the below email from President Trump, and he was disappointed that you are not on the first list of entries. And so it reprints an email from Donald Trump, you know, with his signature down at the bottom that looks like a whole bunch of little guys standing wearing hoods. And team, why hasn't Fred contributed to win a trip to meet me in Atlanta on November 8th? I want him there with me as my VIP guest. Can you send me an updated list of patriots who have entered by 11.59 p.m. today? Now, this is where it gets interesting. I have been getting these things ever since 2016 when I sent $5 to the Trump campaign to get on their list. And at least every couple weeks, and frankly, more frequently than that, I would say, they're running one of these contests where they say, Fred, we would love you to come to, you know, fill in the blank, right? We come to Charlottesville, come to Chicago, come to Reno, come to, you know, wherever Trump is going to do a rally, come to El Paso, you know, right now, this next one in Atlanta on November 8th, they say, and we'll fly you there and we'll put you up in a hotel and you'll have a nice meal and, and you'll get your picture taken with Donald Trump and just make your contribution now to be entered into this contest. Well, Judd Legum over at popular.info did some digging into this. And he cannot find any record of anybody ever winning any of these contests. And if somebody had won, you know, Trump would be publicizing that, right? They'd be putting their picture out. And I'm guessing now that Judd Legum has outed this scam that the Trump campaign has been running all these years for the last, you know, three years. 
that probably somebody will win, maybe for the Atlanta trip. I am predicting pretty soon you're going to see Trump tweet out a picture of himself with some, you know, average Joe couple from the Midwest in some nice restaurant because their bluff has been called. But it's just like his phony charity. It's just like his phony university. It's just like his phony Time magazine covers in his golf clubs, in his golf course, or his, I guess it is called a club, you know, clubhouses. The guy's a grifter. And he surrounds himself with grifters. He's a hustler and a scam artist. So, you know, something to keep your eye out on. And it may well be a campaign finance violation. In fact, it probably is. But Trump has crippled the Federal Election Commission. They literally cannot even hold a meeting because they can't have a quorum. They can't get a quorum together because Trump won't appoint, you know, another person to their board. We're going into one of the most consequential elections in our lifetimes, and there is literally no cop on the beat. There is nobody to say what you are doing is illegal to Donald Trump or anybody else. It's breathtaking. The New York Times has a remarkable article. The headline, it's by Kate Kelly and uh, Lisa Lerr. And the headline is, as Warren gains in race, as in the race to become the Democratic nominee, Wall Street sounds the alarm. And this is fascinating. Wall Street would just months to go before the voting begins. Wall Street is unleashing a barrage of public attacks, donating money to Elizabeth Warren's rivals and scrambling to counter her blistering narrative about Wall Street. Stephen Ratner, a prominent Democratic donor who actually is the guy who manages Michael Bloomberg's billions. He says, everyone is nervous. What scares the hell out of me is the way she could fundamentally change our free enterprise system. Yeah, take us back to where we were pre-1980 with high taxes on rich people, which would stabilize the economy and would raise wages for working people. And, you know, rich people would still be mind-boggling, nosebleed rich. They just wouldn't be as morbidly rich as they are right now. And then, you know, on the other hand, they say, well, even some of Mrs. Warren's detractors see her soak the rich approach as a winning issue in the Democratic primary. President Trump and his team would undoubtedly try to weaponize it against her in a general election, which raises a really interesting question. Elizabeth Warren, and, and Bernie Sanders, too, for that matter, although in this particular regard, Elizabeth Warren is perhaps a little more high profile on this issue, but Bernie's been talking about it forever as well, is basically saying, elect me and I will raise taxes on rich people and corporations to pay for social programs like free college education and free health care. And we're going to expand health care and we're going to strengthen Social Security and we're going to rebuild our schools and give our teachers good, better pay and basically put this country back where it was before the damage of Reaganomics and neoliberalism took us over in 1980. That's her sales pitch. Do you think that that is going to help her win the election? By activating the base, you know, enough people will get out there, maybe even, you know, moderates, low information voters, whatever they may be, you know, like the people who voted for Bernie in the primary and then voted for Trump in the general. Do you think that that will let, help her win the election, if that's the case, or Bernie, for that matter, if he's the nominee? Although this article is specifically about Warren, she's running an ad right now that has a clip from Pretty Woman from the Julia Roberts movie where she's talking, where uh, Richard Gere, the banker, is telling her that what he does basically is the same thing as stealing cars. And this has got Wall Street all flipped out, right? That's, that's how they open the article. 
in the New York Times. So will that, you know, will it work? Or will it activate so much money in opposition? In 76 and 78, the Supreme Court said, you know, billionaires and corporations can own politicians. They can, they can spend virtually all the money in the world. And Citizens United doubled down on this and made it even stronger. And then McCutcheon said, you know, there's not even a limit on the number of politicians you can own. It used to be you could only own a certain number of politicians. It was a little over 100, as I recall. And now, you know, with the McCutcheon decision, the Supreme Court in 2013 said, no, you can own an unlimited amount of politicians, an individual billionaire. Or is this just so third rail? Is this so hot that she'll get taken down, that she'll get George McGoverned? And if so, what does that say about our democracy? Does that mean that we're never going to get back to where we were before Reagan when we had a functioning government and we had a functioning middle class and his productivity went up, wages went up, and billionaires didn't take all the money? Have we passed the point of no return? I guess we'll find out, you know, a year from from this month. This is the Tom Hartman Program. In fact, I guess we'll find out a year from this week, although this also is going to obviously influence the Democratic primary, so maybe we'll find out next summer. Stick around. Boy, these gray days here in Portland are great reminders of how useful CBD oil is. It just kind of brightens my day. New Leaf Natural CBD oil is what Louise and I use uh, generally. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for folks who want to get the benefits, the health benefits of cannabinoids without getting high, basically, which is, you know, what happens if you smoke pot. Uh, CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand that I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown right here in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form and is totally legal. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to nuleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only really one place, nuleafnaturals.com. Tom in Boulder, Colorado. Hey, Tom, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? So... After Snowden revealed to us that the NSA has a recording of all calls made everywhere, I thought, how is it possible that we only have a nebulous transcript of the Ukrainian and I would say also the Erdogan calls? Do That's they a have very also good question, special Tom. privileges? It's a very good question. I am guessing, I mean, you know, Trump has actually referred to a recording of his conversation with President Zelensky of Ukraine. I'm guessing that there are recordings of all these calls and that they are in that secure server or they've already been destroyed. But your point is that maybe the NSA or the CIA or some other intelligence agency is sitting on recordings of these calls. I think that's possible, maybe even probable. I think what's frankly more likely is that the countries that Trump was calling have the recordings. That Trump's conversation with Erdogan a couple of weeks ago that, you know, where Erdogan threatened him and he pulled our troops out of Syria, that Erdogan has the recording of that, that 
you know, Trump's conversations with Putin, Trump's conversations with Duterte. Yeah, I mean, you need to just go down the list. You know, I'm guessing that all those countries have those recordings. And Trump is afraid of that. The more he, the deeper he gets in, you know, the, the more he gets up to his neck in criminality and deception, deceiving the American people, and apparently even deceiving and trashing our intelligence community, the more that goes on, the more vulnerable he is to blackmail, Tom. Yeah. I think that uh, at this point, we almost need to require body cams 24-7 on every politician. Body cams? Including Trump. Yes. <laughs> well, anything that records voice. Well, and, this is. Uh, yeah, I guess just a voice cam. You know, the presidential records. For everything that happens. Yeah, the Presidential Records Act was passed, I believe, in the wake of the whole Nixon thing, saying that everything that a president does has to be preserved. And, and in fact, in the early days of the Trump yeah. presidency, they, the, the Trump administration had to hire a guy whose job was to fish everything out of Trump's wastebaskets and tape it back together so that it could be preserved because Trump was tearing things up. I'm guessing they're probably wildly in violation of the Presidential Records Act right now. And they certainly, I think they're trying to get around it with like Kushner and Ivanka not taking a paycheck and therefore they're not actually employees. So we don't actually have to keep track of what they do. When Jared Kushner says to Mr. Bonesaw, yeah, go ahead, kill Jamal Khashoggi or at least rest him, you know. I'm guessing that that it's all been grabbed. Yeah, you think there's no recording anywhere, even by the NSA then? I'm very skeptical that, well, you never know. I mean, Trump continues to trash the intelligence agencies. And you would think that if one of the intelligence agencies had serious dirt on Trump, that they might call him up one afternoon and say, Donald, <laughs> guess what? You might want to dial it back. But on the other hand, maybe they're afraid to call him because they know that another intelligence agency is listening in <laughs> or that the Chinese are listening in or the Russians are listening in or the Saudis are listening in or the Israelis are listening. I mean, who knows? Tom, thank you for the call. It's an issue that frankly doesn't get anywhere near the kind of coverage or discussion in our media that I think it deserves. Welcome back. Boy, there is so much going on. And how is this, in your opinion, how is this thing going to play out? I'm very concerned. I am concerned for my party. I'm concerned for the future of my party. But the thing that concerns me the most is foreign and big money influence on our elections, both its influence on our two major political parties, but also its influence on our entire political dialogue the influence of big money and, in some cases, foreign governments on our media, the influence of big money on our news. You've got the majority of basically about 90 percent of the media in the United States and people are from which people are getting their news is basically six companies. And then you throw in Facebook, seven, eight companies. And these companies tend to have a right wing slant. I mean, they're, you know, what is important to them is what's important to big companies. No taxes or low taxes and, and you know, the ability for their executives to get away with stuff like stock buybacks and, you know, all these kind of schemes and hustles and things that are going on. And, you know, I get it. In the late 1920s, early 1930s, we had this massive economic crash. 
And out of that crash came the election of Franklin Roosevelt, and Americans were solidly behind Roosevelt. Well, you go back and read the newspapers from that time, and I did this when I was working on my book about the Supreme Court, specifically so-called court-packing scheme that Franklin Roosevelt was involved with. But if you go back and you look at that time, the newspapers were with him. Everybody was with him because the crisis was so bad. A third of America was unemployed. You know, half of America was underemployed. Wages were actually falling, as were prices. I mean, it was a deflationary depression. And that created a space for genuinely progressive politics that stepped into that space in the early 1930s and sustained this country, built the middle class. The first time America had more than half of us in the middle class was the 1950s, 60s, and 70s and the 80s, built this huge middle class, built a labor movement, built guardrails and protections around democracy, good government laws, keep money out of politics, all these kinds of things, built schools and hospitals and roads and new airports, all because we had a top tax rate of 90% or 74% after, you know, Lyndon Johnson dropped it down in 67, but, you know, it was, it was above 50% that top tax rate and corporations were paying about a third of the cost of government. Now it's 6%. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. So my biggest concern is this power of big money that the Supreme Court has given to big money. My biggest hope is the power of people, that we get enough people mobilized. I went down to Los Angeles this weekend to have uh, brunch with Stephanie Miller, which was sweet and worth the trip. And as I was going through airport security, I have an Apple watch and it's got a metal wristband and and the watch itself is made of metal. So I took it off and I put it in my carry-on bag. And when I got on the other side, after it had gone through the x-ray machine, the watch had just gone haywire. I mean, the screen was just like, it was totally weird. It was like one giant letter on the screen and I couldn't move it around. I couldn't reset it. And finally, after I just let the battery run all the way down and then when I recharged it, it rebooted itself and it was fine the next day, but then coming back, the exact same thing happened, only this time it kind of fixed itself within an hour. I've been running this watch through airport security for, you know, a year or two now, and I've never had that happen before. Are they using a different kind of x-ray machine, or is there something funky going on with the Apple Watch software? I just don't know, but I thought it was fascinating that it happened twice in a row. Anyhow, Michael in Denver, it says here, you disagree with me about daylight savings time. Really, why? Well, Tom, I'm 70 years old. actually grew up on a farm for a period of my life. I don't ever remember back in the 50s and early 60s that people were complaining about, oh, it's such a drudgery, twice a year. As a matter of fact, my grandfather well, was... because we didn't a- have daylight savings time back then. I mean, I'm sorry? Oh, actually, we did. That's right. It came with World War II, didn't it? It started, first it was World War I, and then Wilson pulled the plug on it, and then we started it again with World War II. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. That's okay. Anyway, I mean, my grandfather was a great believer in the Farmer's Almanac, mm-hmm. and he would mark off on every new calendar that we got every year when you were going to spring ahead or fall behind. Sure. And all of this new research, I'm not going to question you know, or say, oh, that's, you know, hooey. To me, it's kind of like news. 
so to speak. Yeah, but there are people who are getting in car accidents and dying every year, particularly in the spring, when they lose an hour, and so basically they have jet lag. They're going to work blurry-eyed and tired because they lost an hour of sleep, and they're not paying attention like they should, and they get in car accidents, and people literally die because of this, Michael. And what's That's the benefit? The benefit is for the golf industry, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, that really hit me. I had to laugh about that. Tom, really quick, can I just mention one other sure, thing? Sure, What you've been talking about just now and everything, i got a, a very, very close work friend that was in Yugoslavia before everything happened. Mm-hmm. You know, basically the breaking up and the revolution and everything that they had there between the Serbians, Croatians. and 91, oh, right? You're, you're, you're talking about when the Yes, so the early 90s. He said to me, we were talking about that, he said, he asked me if I had ever read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Oh my. He said, in that book, you can read to see what was happening on in Europe at that time. It happened in Yugoslavia now. That's why my family had to leave, because if not, we were going to get, we were going to be killed. We were in a big civil war and all, and people were just, the division in that country was basically homicidal. Yeah, and we saw and that's that played what he out. says Go ahead. being in the country today. And I said, well, you know, and the one thing was is that it was so divided that nobody was going to be willing to work together to stop the killing and everything that happened there. So that's mm-hmm. the only thing I wanted to mention. And thank you very much for every day that you bring it on. Okay, you're welcome, Michael. Thanks for the call. And thank you very much. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? Hey, Tom. You know, I was thinking about this daylight savings time was thinking that if we would just fall back six times a year, like every two months, then we would all get an hour more sleep every two months. And after four years, we'd have accumulated 24 hours and we could get rid of leap day. We could get rid of leap year. (laughs) You know, I'm assuming that you're saying this tongue in cheek, but, you know, China, I believe, you know, I've I've read this, you know, I'm assuming the source that I read was accurate that all of China is one giant time zone. Yeah, I heard that they're doing that. Yeah, they're, they're wherever you're right. You're... I am being tongue-in-cheek because, you know, obviously after two years, night would be day and day would be <laughs> right. night. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I'm going to use this as a metaphor and not just be cute, but this is what's happened to our political cycle, mm-hmm. is we fall back every four years. And see, so what happens is, and this is your, I guess this is kind of your, as I understand it, your two Santa Claus theory, is the Republicans rape and pillage the economy, make it a wreck, and leave it in a shambles for the Democrats to clean up. And so they have all the tax cuts. And you can see what's going to happen again here. Even if the Democrats, uh, Elizabeth Warren, whoever wins in 2021, what position is the economy? What can you do now with the economy is, is bound to take a turn for the worse? And when you have interest rates at 1.5%, you know, your base rate, and you have all right, what are you going to get, more tax cuts, cut cut rates, more? There's nowhere left to go. Right. And what Trump is betting is that, I mean, pretty much everybody knows that the economy is going to have a downturn. The question is, is that downturn going to be a mild recession or another Great Depression? And it wouldn't surprise me at all if a Democrat won, you know, a year from this week, that a couple of days later or even a week later, if the economy had not fallen apart by that point in time, that, you know, Trump and his buddies would just, you know, pull the slats out from underneath it. You know, would just say, okay, that's it. You know, no more. 
and blame it on the Democrats. I mean, that, you know, well, blaming the, the Great Depression on the Republicans kept the Democrats in power for 50 years. Well, yeah. Well, when you look at, if you look at the percentage of loss in the economy, well, let's say since the Great Depression, the Republican administrations have lost more. I mean, in Hoover's term, he lost eight, the economy contracted 8.8% every year for four years. And in Franklin Roosevelt's first term, he recovered all of it in four years. Wow. And continued to grow, because they say, oh, no, it was the war, it was the war. But the war, the war didn't take place for eight more years. Right, until his so third or fourth term. in the war for eight years. Yeah. Exactly. And so Roosevelt's policies actually did, and Republicans, they continue. And if you look at, I've heard other uh, financial experts on the radio analyze and say the economy and the stock market have done much better under Democratic administrations than they have under Republicans. Yet this is what they handed us. You know, they handed us the crash of 2008 for Obama. By the way, when you look at the bull market now, I was looking at it. It was 83% of it happened under Barack Obama. Right. And that's kind of, if you look at that as a marathon, that's like Barack Obama running 22 miles of a 26-mile marathon, and then Donald Trump comes out on the track and says, okay, I'll take over now, and walks the last four and a quarter and says, look what a great job I've done. Right. Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. And, and if you look at just stock market performance, and aggregated Democratic versus Republican administrations going back to the beginning of the last century. Democrats come out way ahead. If you look at labor, Democrats come out way ahead. The only area where Democrats, quote, come out worse is taxes going up. But that is what is the price of civil society. You know, it's it's taxes that make things work. So you can cite Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. for that reference. So there you go. Thank so you're, you very you're not much, citing an, you're not you're not citing an idiot there. There you go. Thank you, Paul. Good to hear from you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. People are always asking me, "Hey, is that X chair really that good? I mean, it, it, is it really as comfortable as you say?" And my answer is, "Yeah, you got to check this thing out." And the way to do that is to get one for yourself. Thanks to XChair's 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, you have no risk. So if you're wondering if what I say is true, just try it. Try it for yourself. Once you feel the XChair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, their DVL, you'll understand exactly why I love my XChair so much. Take advantage of XChair's financing option and increase your productivity with the right model for you, the X-Basic or the X1 through the X4. XChair can fit your body and your budget. X-Chair is on sale now for 100 bucks off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll get a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. That's xchairtom, xchairtom.com, xchairtom. I love my X-Chair and you will too. xchairtom.com, xchairtom. For our book club today, we're reading from a book by Elizabeth Holtzman, one of the former U.S. congresswomen who sat on the committee that considered impeaching Richard Nixon. This book is titled The Case for Impeaching Trump. This is from the first chapter titled Impeachment. When Donald Trump's presidential election victory was announced in the early morning hours of November 9, 2016, like many Americans, I rubbed my eyes in disbelief and dismay. Two questions raced through my mind. What had become of America? that a man so unfit, so small-minded, so mean-spirited could be elected. A man whose ethnic and racial bigotry had set the stage for his presidential run when he called Mexicans rapists. 
and made racist birther attacks on President Barack Obama, whose vulgarity and misogyny were laid bare in the Access Hollywood tape when he bragged about forcibly grabbing women by their genitals, whose performance at presidential debates showed him not only flagrantly ill-informed, but manifestly unwilling to get informed? My second question was about how much harm this man would do to America as its 45th president. I have my answer now to the latter, less than two years after the election. President Trump has damaged American democracy far more than I would have guessed. He has refused to protect our system of free elections from foreign interference. He has relentlessly attacked the administration of justice, in particular the investigation into a possible conspiracy with Russia regarding the 2016 presidential election, putting himself above the rule of law. He has failed to separate his personal business from the country's flaunting the Constitution's requirements, and he has violated the constitutional rights of the people in separating children from parents at the southwest border without due process of law. And to cover up these misdeeds, he has systematically lied to and assailed the press. These are great and dangerous offenses that the framers of our Constitution wanted to counteract and thwart. They provided a powerful remedy, impeachment. Many tremble at the word, fearing how President Trump's supporters will react to an impeachment inquiry, worrying that it will only further polarize an already deeply divided nation, or that there will be not be enough votes in the Senate to convict him if the House of Representatives votes to impeach. Just calling for an inquiry will be viewed as a Democratic Party attack on the head of another party, a kind of coup d'etat. It's easy to find reasons to be anxious, but I'm not afraid. As a junior congresswoman, the youngest ever elected at that time, I served on the House Judiciary Committee that voted to impeach President Richard Nixon for the high crimes and misdemeanors he committed in connection with the Watergate cover-up and other matters. Through a thorough, fair, and above all, bipartisan, the committee acted on solid evidence presented in televised hearings that riveted the nation, handing us the blueprint for how impeachment can be successfully pursued today. In our 225 years of constitutional democracy, the Nixon impeachment process has been proven to be the only presidential effort that worked. Though Nixon resigned, the only president ever to do so, two weeks after the committee's impeachment vote, he did so to avoid the certainty of being impeached and removed from office. We became a better nation for having held the president accountable. All of which raises two further questions. Should we be considering the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump? Will we again become a better nation by pursuing that option? To answer, we need to set aside President Trump's unremitting attacks on the environment, on our close allies, on the Affordable Care Act, and any disagreements we have over policy, as well as any personal animus, and simply ascertain whether he has engaged in the kind of egregious conduct that would meet the constitutional standards for impeachment and removal from office. This means we have to focus sharply on his potentially impeachable offenses. In doing so, we will find it useful to compare them, when possible, to similar offenses by President Nixon, found to be impeachable by the House Judiciary Committee in 1974. Here is a list of some of President Trump's potentially impeachable offenses developed as of this writing. A possible interference with or obstruction of the administration of justice and an abuse of power. On May 9, 2017, Trump fired FBI Director James Comey, who is investigating both his national security advisor, Michael Flynn, and Russia's connections to the Trump campaign in connection with influencing the 2016 presidential election. Two days later, President Trump admitted to NBC's Lester Holt that Comey's firing had to do with that, quote, Russia thing, 
In other words, President Trump acknowledged that he was trying to shut down the FBI investigation into his own possible conspiracy with Russia. Flynn has since pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. The Comey firing uncannily echoes Nixon's firing of the special Watergate prosecutor for seeking highly damaging information about that president, a brazen defiance of the rule of law that triggered the start of impeachment proceedings against Nixon. A second possible interference with or obstruction of the administration of justice and an abuse of power. President Trump has persistently and publicly attacked those heading the Russia investigation, including Special Counsel Robert S. Mueller III and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and has repeatedly condemned Attorney General Jeff Sessions for recusing himself, suggesting that he wants to fire any and all of them in order to get control of the Russian investigation. He actually did give an order to fire Mueller. A failure to care that the laws are faithfully executed is required by the Constitution. To try to deflect public concern about his possible role, well, it continues from there. The case for impeaching Trump by Elizabeth Holtzman. Uh, Jay in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Jay. Warren has gone too far. What does that mean? Let me just explain that. I think that everything she says, I agree with. I think that people are so resistant to change that it's too much to ask for everything that she is asking for. And why? I mean, just like your example. Why can't, why can't we have a country that works like, like Canada? Why can't we have a country that works like Germany or France or Denmark or Sweden or Norway? I mean, why, why is it that all these other countries can do it, but we just, we, we can't? What's so, what is so pathetic about America, Jay, that we can't have this? I think it's a fear of change. You know, you were talking about daylight saving. If you look at uh, discussion anywhere on the Internet or something like that, it gets ugly. I mean, people get really uptight about a change as simple as daylight savings. So when you talk about free college, which I support, I mean, I'm, I'm on that, but I think people will look at it and think it's too much, even though even though it will benefit them. I think they they just get so resistant about giving free things away, they get scared that something's going to be lost, like yeah. you know, it'll hurt them in some way, you know? Well, that's how the Republicans are going to sell it. I mean, that's going to be their hit is, you know, oh, my God, she's going to mess with our taxes and she's going to crash the economy and she's going to change and, and she's going to do away with private health insurance, which, by the way, is not the case. She's going to do away with private health insurance as the basis of health insurance. There will always be a place where, you know, for-profit companies can come in and offer additional policies or extra policies or, you know, hey, you want a private room rather than a double or, you know, you want the entire floor or you want a helicopter taking you there instead of an ambulance. You know, there'll always be stuff for very wealthy people. But this is this is what they're going to do, Jay. You, you, you know, I put I think you put your finger on it. And, uh, you know, we need to we need to figure out how we're going to respond to it. Jay, thanks for the call. Gerald in San Pedro, California. Hey, Gerald, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how you doing? I'm well. What's up? I want to talk to you about Erdogan yeah. and his son and, and how they have stolen so much fuel, basically processed petroleum products. And, uh, you know, there was a, a big deal about Halliburton. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, did we buy trucks? Yeah, we got trucks and drinkers. Yeah. And did they buy a bunch of them? They did. And who destroyed them? Russians did that. They did that early on when they were busy moving in and creating uh, their little, uh, what is it, uh, uh, you know, their little kingdom there. You're talking about northern Syria? Base. Sir? You're talking about northern Syria? Yes, sir, I am. Huh. So, so Turkey was buying trucks from 
Halliburton to transport oil out of northern Syria back up to Turkey? Not only Syria, but also Iraq and other areas. And uh, the Russians decided, oh, hey, we can't have that. So they bombed them. And they just did a huge destroyer thing. You know, there are pictures and whatever out over on the VT. And, uh, you know, let's piss them off. Let's, I, you, you know, know I, I, Gerald, that, that sounds pretty mind-boggling. I don't know enough about it to comment on it, so I'm going to have to do some homework. Gerald, thanks for the call and, and what may be a heads-up. Appreciate it. Kimon Freeman is going to be with us in just a second. Oh, this is getting interesting. Stick around. We'll be right back. You know, the only two presidents who were ever impeached, thus credibly accused of crimes that rose to the level of impeachment, and then those crimes were indicted in the House of Representatives with an impeachment vote and tried in the United States Senate. The only two presidents that had that happen, by coincidence, and I'm sure it's just a coincidence, are the only two presidents whose Department of Justice's Office of Legal Counsel wrote a memo saying, you can't arrest a sitting president. What he's doing is too important. He's too busy. He would never go out on the golf course one-third of his presidency. He's busy. You can't arrest him. And Trump now is claiming that not only can't you arrest him, you can't even investigate him, even if he commits murder. Anyway, we've got a video about a president who actually did get arrested for a crime and convicted of it. You can check it out over at TomHartman.com. Tag your it. I'm going to get back to some of your phone calls here in just a moment. But first, uh, Kimon Freeman's got this uh, really cool little petition that, that uh, I shouldn't say little, that, you know, he wanted to share with us. And I, I think this is just so cool. Kimon, of course, is the co-owner and a host on We Act Radio, our affiliate out of Washington, D.C. He's a program director and host there and an activist with Black Lives Matter, D.C. WeActRadio.com is the website and the Twitter handle. Kimon, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Good. So the Nats win the World Series, and Trump says, come on over to the White House, and I'll serve you some cold hamburgers or whatever he's going to do. And you have a response to that. Exactly. I was inspired by um, Sean Do Doolittle. Uh, you know, our hashtag here, we actually do something, and Do has definitely done that. And so we had an uh, article that came out in the Washington Post when he announced uh, that he was refusing to um, join his teammates at the White House. And at least nine other players were not in attendance, by the way, Tom. Oh, really? Um, yes, at least nine other players were not in attendance. Jesse Daugherty, the Washington Post writer that did the story on Friday, reported that. He also said that Kurt Suzuki wore a MAGA hat, and Ryan Zimmerman thanked Trump for making America the greatest country to live in the world. I don't know what metric he's using other than the perspective of a professional athlete with a million-dollar contract. But, yeah. uh, and low taxes now. To... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, we just wanted to thank Sean Doolittle for his do something. And uh, we have a petition on change.org. If you go to change.org and put in that fans, uh, it'll come right up. We have some people that has pushed back and said that he should have went and voiced his opinion to Trump. But uh, people have short-term memory loss because uh, Craig Hodges of the um, – the um, world champions of uh, Chicago Bulls uh, during Michael, uh, Michael Jordan's heyday, he did go to the White House with Bush and, and submitted a complaint, and that got him blackballed from the NBA. Oh, jeez. So, 
This is not a small thing that um, that Sean Doolittle did, and we just wanted to publicly acknowledge him and thank him. And in fact, we attended the uh, uh, Nats parade here, and we held had signs thanking Sean. And we got a lot of lot of love out there. Uh, you would have thought there'd been some conversation, but it was a lot of love. So Sean Doolittle has a lot of support around the country. That's great. Come on, thanks for sharing that story with us, and and what thank you're you. doing. And Ken, keep it up. You are you, you know you are doing such great work there in D.C. And I really appreciate it. Hey, we're doing something. Do something. There you go. There you go. Kimon Freeman with WeActRadio.com. Thank you, Kimon. Brian in Joliet, Illinois. Hey, hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Yeah, in, uh, on uh, 8-19-1953, the CIA overthrew the government of Musharraq in Iran, and it was, he was replaced. He was like FDR, and he was replaced by the evil Shah. And then 40 years ago, they shouldn't have done this, but Iranians took the embassy, our embassy in Iran, mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, Senator Edward M. Kennedy was running for president at the time, said he told the truth that the Shah of Iran should never have been allowed in this country in the first place right. because he was so evil to the Iranian people. Well, this fact would not be lost on the Iranians uh, to this day, the uh, U.S., uh, uh, CIA's involvement in overthrowing uh, their government in 1953. Right. If we, if if the U.S. if we, uh, were to attack Iran today, Iran would likely respond with uh, attacks upon Israel, and Israel with um, Netanyahu, who's a far right winger and a racist, um, not like Rabin, uh, would uh, then send nukes into Iran. And this would likely cause Putin to send nukes into Israel, which would then cause Trump to send nukes into Russia, and that would be the end of all of us. Yeah, that's your I World War I scenario. That's, that's exactly how it happened with World War I. Indeed. And I have an article. You might want to look it up. It's from the Chicago Sun-Times, Sunday, October 15, 2006. It's an excellent article. It's called Bush's Nuclear Apocalypse, mm-hmm. an American war against Iran conceived by zealots would lead to a disaster of biblical proportions. It's by Chris Hedges. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. familiar with that. In fact, Chris has discussed that topic on this program with me. I get it, Brian, and I share your concern. I mean, there are so many potential flashpoints, and you've got a guy in the White House who is impulsive, incompetent, and frankly, not all that bright. And, you know, I think it should concern all of us. You know, say a prayer for our country. Thanks so much for being with us today. Spread the good word, right? If you like this program, if you like the channel or the system or the station or however you're getting our show, support them if they're in a fun drive. Support their sponsors if they're commercial. Tell your friends about progressive media. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 